The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to The Steady Investor with Mark Vickery and Mitch Zacks. In our program today, we'll help you get started or continue to build your nest egg with some of the best practices for retirement planning. It's time to start right now. Here are your hosts, Mitch Zacks and Mark Vickery. Welcome, welcome, listeners of VoiceAmerica.com's business channel. You're listening to The Steady Investor, sponsored by Zacks Investment Management. I'm your co-host, Mark Vickery, and I'm joined today by a very special guest. Longtime listeners to The Steady Investor likely remember him. He's Dave Bartosiak, investment strategist for Zacks, who goes under the Twitter handle Bartosiastics, uh, here calling in from Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, good morning to you, Dave. Good morning, Mark. How you doing? I'm doing just fine, thanks. It looks like we've got a decent connection now, which is a, a very good, good thing. Last time you were on The Steady Investor, we actually had Florida weather here in Chicago. That's how long ago it was. So I think wow. have, yeah, and I think I'm going to lose the office bet of when you return to Chicago because I don't think it's going to be anytime soon. <laughs> well, you were pretty short on that bet, weren't you? You thought uh, I was, was going to be uh, I was going to turn around, get bored, and come back, right? Or, or that you would have uh, job security issues, but apparently not. I think you're just fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Guys, so far, so far, so good. Right, and you know things have actually changed quite a bit. If you haven't, I'm sure everybody's noticed. You know, since the last time we weren't the the market, the VIX was at a, a I think historically low level back. I think this must have been summertime, right? Uh, uh, thinking that it was there was no chance of a Trump uh, election. Uh, here we are now. Trump is a week away from from being inaugurated, and we've seen the Trump rally that I think other people maybe didn't expect either. And I want to kind of go into this a little bit. Um, uh, and also uh, talk a little bit about Q4, Q4 earnings season, which is really getting started. Today was Delta, and tomorrow are the big banks, a lot of the big banks. So uh, where should we start? Should we start with the earnings season? Um, well, let's let's start with let's start with Trump, and then because that's going to be a nice little segue into earnings season, okay, and then it'll go perfect. back to Trump again. So okay, it's like good. two camel humps of Trump, two Trumps, <laughs> the two Trump, <laughs> the two Trump camel. Yeah, All right. the two Trump camel. All right, so let's get started. Um, so yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, heck, I, I guess we'll start with talking about this whole VIX situation, right? So sure. historically low volatility, everybody pretty much priced in a Clinton victory, and the stock market adjusted accordingly. So you started to see some of the healthcare, really the drug names sold off in anticipation of a Clinton victory, because that was going to be the witch hunt, right? Capitol Hill was going to go out there and really put pressure on these drug companies to adjust their pricing. We had some famous scapegoats, including Martin Shkreli, that weaselly little character. Um, and then you had uh, the EpiPen drama that was taking place. So there, there were plenty right. of villains um, to be had there. So then, um, all of a sudden, yeah, we started pricing in the possibility of this Trump victory, and initially the market didn't like it. But I, I, I think we were misconstruing um, the market not liking it for 
uh, just sectors of the market sort of repricing. So the market was kind of repricing the risk of the unknown of the Trump presidency because we weren't exactly sure how the market was going to react to it. So it was more of an uncertainty thing versus, you know, a vote against a Trump administration. So then that's why we saw on Election Day overnight in the futures market, you had that extreme volatility um, in the S&P 500 uh, and in the VIX also. And shortly thereafter, we started to see that there was a lot of bullish behavior taking place in reaction to Trump. And that bullish behavior centered around what's now become known as the Trump trade or the Trump rotation. So that Mm -hmm. was money flows into basic materials, industrial goods, and the financials. And those three were the main beneficiaries initially of the Trump trade. Now, historically, really basic materials, industrial goods, financials, you're talking lower PEs and you're talking lower, lower betas, relative to the rest of the domestic market. So these are stocks that aren't supposed to move as much as the rest of the market does, and stocks where you don't really expect to see a ton of earnings growth. So in the initial phases of this Trump trade, there was an inflation on the valuations of these stocks because there was an expectation that now these sectors were going to really benefit from the new Trump administration. That's why you saw such a huge rally in the small caps. The small caps are more domestically oriented, so they were truly buying into the Make America Great Again mantra. But also, because so much of that Russell 2000 index is comprised of smaller financial firms, so when those started to rally, it reflected very nicely on the rest of the Russell and that's where you had that huge spike upward initially on the Russell if you're looking at just the first few weeks following Election Day. Right. So that was sort of phase one, right? Mm-hmm. So then we had phase two where we were like, okay, we got the, the initial orange glow had worn off of the markets. <laughs> um, and, the orange uh, glow, I like it. You liked that, right? <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and, then, and then there was a little, there was divergence happening. So it wasn't one of these situations where the rising tide was lifting all the ships in the harbor. You started to have divergence among the major market indexes. So where the Dow would have a great day, but the NASDAQ would lag behind. And that truly was now a more focused rally on you know, basic materials and industrial goods and things of that nature. And they were going towards the more quality names. So that's where the money flows were really, were really heading towards. Um, more Trump specific. Yeah. Very Trump specific trades happened. Including drugs um, at the time. Correct. I mean, including pharma until yesterday. Right. <laughs> when things happen, I want to, I want you to continue though. We'll get onto that in a minute. No, yeah, absolutely. There's trust me. There's plenty. This is we could go on for days. Um, <laughs> but so, so you had yeah, pharma initially healthcare did very well um, because they figured okay, Hillary's not in there. This witch hunt is not going to happen, and um, yay for pharma. Okay, mm-hmm. and then of course you get things like yesterday 
um, where, you know, Trump says that, you know, actually this pricing is something we need to take a look at. And then, you know, and then those, those stocks get whipped around. Um, and I, I think that that is a sector of the market that maybe you want to minimize your exposure if you want to minimize your Zantac intake over the course of the next quarter, because <laughs> those things are going to be flopping around all over the place, a ton of volatility. And I just feel like there's easier ways to make money than to mess around too much in healthcare. Um, granted, that's going to be the fun stuff that everybody's going to want to talk about because those stocks are going to be all over the place. Um, mm. But just the risk versus reward to me isn't there when you've got so many other pockets of the market that could offer more predictable returns over the course of the next year. Okay. <clears throat> such as? Um, such as the Trump trade. Just your good old-fashioned Trump trade going with the basic materials, the industrials, and the financials. The financials specifically are pretty good. But I think hiding amongst all this, and this is where we're going to start to get into this sort of Q4 thing that's developing, is energy stocks. Okay. So energy got beat up and helped take the market down. And then as um, you know, we got some agreements from OPEC and the Saudis, then suddenly it became apparent that, okay, oil's not going to go down to $30 a barrel. Um, these uh, oil exploration and production companies are not going to end up going under. And we're actually like, things are going to be okay. There's no credit risk here. It's going to be all right. Cause that, that's, really what the crux of this oil trade was. There were people that were staring at oil going down and saying, you know, this doesn't make sense. Why is this correlated? It's correlated because of the credit markets. And when there was going to be Say that again. You just broke up there for a second, Dave. Go ahead. Re-say what you just stated. So when you're looking at energy, the problem with oil was not necessarily that the market looked at oil going down as a bad thing for the market. That Mm -hmm. simply didn't take place. What it was is we were worried that oil was going to keep coming down and it was going to have a negative impact on those oil exploration and production companies, so much so that they wouldn't be able to meet their credit obligations. A lot of those smaller oil exploration and production companies have to go to the debt market in order to fuel their operations. So the real fear was they wouldn't be able to continue operations and they wouldn't be able to remain solvent. And when you're looking at high-yield issuance, close to 30% of it is oil exploration and production companies. So it was really a credit shock that took place when oil started to, started to unwind and go significantly lower. So okay. once that initial shock sort of subsided, you know, now we're not so worried about it, okay? Okay. Um, so if you look at oil earnings for Q4, Right now, the sector is expecting um, 17% EPS growth this quarter. Wow. That's huge. That's year-over-year EPS growth. Huge numbers. And that's the sort of thing that the average person doesn't really take into account. They don't look at that. The only thing you're going to look at is when these companies are reporting, what does the number look like? And when a lot of sectors and a lot of companies are reporting 3 4 5% earnings growth, and you see ExxonMobil, Halliburton, BP, Royal Dutch Shell – returning double-digit EPS growth, you're going to want to throw your money at it, especially when they're paying you 6 7% dividend um, while you wait. So I think you're going to see energy being one of the major beneficiaries of the rally in 2017, if not the best-performing sector of 2017. I know I went out on a limb there and kind of rolled the dice a little bit, um, but that's like the it, fun though. stuff about the beginning. I love I love doing that stuff. At the beginning of the year, you roll the dice, you throw some predictions out there. If you're wrong, who cares? If you're right, you look like a champion. 
So uh, I'm going to try to look like a champion this year, or, or or look like a Chicago Cub, as they now say, um, and uh, and and say that uh, the energy sector is going to do the best in 2017. Because let's look at the other side. Then what do, what do you what do you see as being the worst performer of 2017? Utilities. Okay. I For the same reason that they've been the, sluggish. Yeah, uh, they've been sluggish. It's interest rates. It's interest rates. Okay. Um, you don't fight the Fed, and interest rates are are going to impact utilities more than than anything else, um, because it's just not going to be attractive to to have your money in a utility yielding two three percent when you're going to be able to do that in a ten year. So right. You've got you know a risk free rate of return that's going to continue to creep up, and uh, and that's going to be the situation there. I think so. Utilities tough. I think it's going to be tough. Also, autos are not going to do so hot this year. Oh, this is after they did great, after all that pent-up demand got flushed out of the market, right? Absolutely. Pent-up demand got flushed out. Um, I'm sitting in my flushed-out demand right now. Um, (laughs) And, uh, yeah, that's the thing. It's just, it's not, everybody spent their money, and now interest rates are starting to go up. So the only way that these people, that uh, um, automakers are going to be able to get you to get out and spend new, uh, money on a new car is they're going to have to either do all the financing in-house and take on that risk. Mm-hmm. And the way they're going to do this is it's, it's all a shell game. So they got to make the same amount of money because the cars didn't, they didn't make, you know, suddenly figure out how to make Ford Mustangs a lot cheaper than they used to. Okay. So what they're going to do is they're going to play a little numbers game. They're still going to offer you the 0% financing, but they're going to have to increase the cost of the car. So they're going to kind of push it around because people are right now are so used to 0%, 0%, 0%. It's going to take a while for them to break out of that mentality when it comes to these cars. Um, okay. And with these record auto sales, you know, again and again, and then you have sort of the underlying shift in millennials' purchase behavior, um, it, all, it all adds to it. You know, a lot of millennials aren't out there. It's not like, yes, I want to get the new car. That's not their thing. It's, you know, I want to live downtown in an awesome city, and I want to go out to restaurants, and I want to go on vacation. That's where the priority is versus, you know, keeping up with the Joneses and, and having a new car. Okay. So that's going to have a little bit of an impact, I think. Interesting. Okay, so let's try to find out a little bit more. So overall, uh, for Q4 earnings season, this will be the second uh, consecutive quarter, I think, uh, without a doubt, of earnings growth, right? After a long earnings recession, uh, we'd seen quarter after quarter, maybe a year and a half or so. Uh, but now this will be, what were you, so I think uh, Shiraz Mian, who is actually uh, your boss and mine, who is the director of research for Zacks, says we're looking for 3% earnings growth. Is that about correct still? Yeah, last I checked, it was 3% earnings growth in aggregate on the S&P 500 for this quarter. And if you, But the, the, the good thing is, um, if you look out Q1, okay, um, it's over 9% right now. Jeez. And Q2 is also over 9% because it's all about these really low comps. Now, that number is going to come down. Because they always do. They always start high, and then they come trickling down. But even if it comes in at 7 or if it comes in at 6, those are huge numbers, and that's going to be tailwinds for the market moving into the next year. Um, so it, it's I, you could very easily paint a very rosy, bullish scenario for the market 
Well, let me ask you a question, Dave. Uh, how much of this is actually baked in uh, based on things like uh, corporate tax reform and, uh, and, and deregulation and everything? Or is that another uh, issue that hasn't even really been baked into the cake here? I, in terms of the actual EPS numbers, those are not baked in yet. Okay. Um, but in terms even be of bigger broad than that, down market, below. yes. But in terms of broad market optimism, I think that is baked in. Okay. So I see. what we're going to have to so so the EPS estimates are where they are right now. If you do get some of those structural reforms, then you will in fact see those EPS estimate numbers creep higher. But right now, where valuations are, I think you, it, it's pretty evident that we already have these expectations. And this reinflation of growth expectations happens super fast. Um, what used to take you know, six months to complete now happens in a few weeks. And I think that's why, you know, I was just looking at Wells Fargo, because uh, they're going to report before the market opens tomorrow morning. And... You know, on election day, this was in the, the stock was in the 40s, okay. and we're at 50, 54 right now. Okay. You know, over $50 a share on Wells Fargo. I want to make it clear, by the way, that we're not necessarily recommending or not recommending Wells Fargo. We're just talking about it as an example, correct? We have a business relationship. Right. We have a, oh, we also have a business relationship with Wells Fargo. So let's be let's tread uh, carefully here, Dave. Yeah. No, 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 no. I'm, absolutely. I'm saying there's a move from... The bottom, you know, the 40s all the way up to, you know, below 50s, that move used to take months to manifest itself. And now the way the market works, it just happens so quickly that we price in those expectations very fast. Um, so I think that the, the valuation story is already baked in, but the EPS story is not baked in yet. Okay, I see. All right, so uh, we still. Let's. Where else are we going to see some strength uh, in Q4? Do you think? Uh, what's 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 going well? We've seen technology stocks uh, year to date uh, as the best performing index. Correct. Yeah, that was pretty surprising uh, to see the tech stocks so far have actually done well, and that's part of this sort of next stage. The. the that second hump, the second Trump hump I was talking about, um, where now you're getting divergence among the major market averages, but it's not the large caps leading the way. Now it's the, it's the NASDAQ leading the way um, while the Dow was kind of stagnant. You know, we got close to 20,000 and, and couldn't really get that catalyst to, to, to leapfrog that level uh, while the NASDAQ was, was pushing higher. I think that represents a repricing of risk here to kick off 2017. So, again, I was talking about that rally, the post-election day rally, where you're looking at basic materials, industrial goods, financials, historically lower P.E. stocks. So now heading into 2017, when you're trying to look at a relative P.E. on, on a sector, on, on the technology sector, and you're comparing it to the relatively low P.E.s, of basic materials and industrial goods and financials, it made technology look cheaper. So when you're looking for the next place to put that next buck, you had to reprice that risk that was associated with the technology sector. So I think you saw money flows coming into tech in order to sort of set that ratio back normal again. So it was like the slow guys, you know, the slow guys sprinted ahead and the fast guys are like, wait a minute, how are the slow guys ahead of us? We're supposed to be ahead. 
Um, so that's what you had happen. And so I don't know how long it lasts. I'm not sure where it goes, but I think that you get a repricing of risk in the technology sector that continues for a few more weeks. Granted, today we're getting punched in the face, but that's going to happen periodically. Um, and, and then you have another cycle where it's back to the Trump trade. Um, as he gets into office and as he starts to get some sort of lead, some legislation passed, we'll see what he gets, what happens, and what doesn't. But I think in those initial phases, if he does it quick enough, uh, it'll be enough to satisfy sort of the hope that everyone has about the infrastructure plays, and then that money will start to flow again um, into basic materials, industrials, and financials. So basically you're seeing a recalibration across sectors of, of fair value, more or less. And then what you'll see is, again, the next step up in the the Trump-centric uh, trade. Is that correct? That's what I, yes, yes. Okay, that's great. Because we, we noticed in the tech sector, for instance, we only have like about a minute or so left before we go to break, uh, but it didn't really, the tech sector really wasn't a beneficiary of that Trump rally, at least initially, because a lot of the multinational aspects of it, um, you're right, you were talking about right. the, the Russell and the, and the small cap indexes doing much, much better because they were domestic-oriented stocks. Yes. <laughs> so here we are. And uh, I wanted to also say to people who are listening to The Steady Investor, for more information about how to best invest your assets for retirement, you can call Zach's Investment Management right here in Chicago, or you can call Dave in Florida at 800-918-3114, uh, where you can discuss at length your risk levels and investment strategies that are best suited for you and your family. Uh, for more information, you can email us at info at zimwealth.com. That's Z-I-M for Zach's Investment Management, wealth.com. Or visit our website, zimwealth.com. Also, uh, you know, Dave, I know you know uh, Chief Strategist John Blank. Um, he writes the uh, Stock Market Outlook every month. And uh, for those people calling into 800-918-3114, you can get a free Stock Market Outlook by John Blank. Uh, comprehensive, uh, very well uh, written and uh, understandable uh uh, responsible reading for every investor. I would sure you would agree with that. Is that correct, Dave? Harumph. Harumph. <laughs> <laughs> Harumph. <laughs> okay, so, so Dave, what we're going to do is I want to get to something called Dave's Crystal Ball for 2017. Nice teaser, isn't it? We're going to take a short break, though, and be right back with Dave Bartosiak, uh, who is the investment strategist for Zacks. Thanks for staying with us. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The Steady Investor Show is brought to you by Zach's Investment Management, a wealth management boutique formed over 23 years ago and manages several billions of dollars for thousands of customers. At Zach's, we believe acting in your best interest is our obligation. Zach's focuses on providing solutions and listening to our clients' needs. With trust in the financial industry at an all-time low, we find this focus to be a key differentiator for our firm. We're based in Chicago and have a team of advisor representatives located across the country to help you with your retirement planning. Whether you need help with financial planning or looking for a second opinion on your retirement plan, give us a call at 1-800-918-3114 or to learn more, go to info at zax.com. Again, that number is 1-800-918-3114 or go to info at zax.com. Fast performance is no guarantee of future results. Potential for loss exists in any investment. Material is for informational purposes only. It is not investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice. A recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. No advice 
Advice is given about a strategy's suitability for a particular investor. Are you a business leader or executive that wants to achieve more? Not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways. Listen for the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. You'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. The Business Elevation Show can be heard live on Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, usually 4 p.m. U.K., on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answers Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to The Steady Investor. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to... See Gaitan at Zax.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to VoiceAmerica.com's business channel. You're listening to The Steady Investor, sponsored by Zach's Investment Management. I'm Mark Vickery, your co-host, and today we're joined by Dave Bartosiak, investment strategist at Zach's, who goes under the twiddle handle Bartosiastics, which is a combination of Bartosiak statistics. Uh, how's that doing, by the way? How's your Twitter feed, Dave? You know, it's it's neat. Um... I, uh, I I try and post, you know, not just market-related things, but, you know, some of the funnier things that I see. And then on occasion, I go on these rants, you know, if a business did me wrong, um, I use that as my little platform to rant. So um, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. You get to interact with people, go back and forth. Um, it's uh, it's definitely an entertaining thing, thing to have up there. So it's it's cool. 
Okay. So what we want to talk about right now is uh, what we're. Uh, how do you spell his Twitter feed? I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna say it's B A R T O S I A S T I C S. Is that correct? That's correct. At, yeah. It starts at Bartosius. Keeps on going. <laughs> you had to make it uh, that long in that company. Anyway, so what we want to talk about is is this year. Well, it's a great time to have a conversation about what's going to happen in the market 2017. Uh, obviously, there's lots of uh, lots of rosy colored glasses. Uh, you have a very bullish outlook, and you also have a not so bullish outlook, depending on your perspective. Correct? Sure. And and you know people. When I start to do stuff like this, some people get upset, you know, because they're like, hey, you're on both sides of the equation. You're always going to be right. Um, but I, I think that in, in this case, there is a sort of a very specific trigger that could send this thing in one direction or the other. So we need to sort of game this out. You know, I'm a math guy. I'm an economist. I'm a, I'm a, a statistics guy. So I try to assign sort of a probability, you know, like, hey, we got a 70% chance of this happening, a 30% chance of this happening, so this is what we have to look for. And if okay. it starts to develop, you got to game that all the way through. I mean, this is, this is how you make decisions. you got to think, okay, best-case scenario, this is what happens, worst-case scenario, and then make sure that you're adjusted well for both. And that's how you construct portfolios, too. You're never all in on one stock and one thesis and one idea, because if it blows up, then you're done. So That's you right. always have to sort of hedge your bets, and then this is what you do uh, when you're looking at long-term macro things. you got to hedge your bets. So heading into 2017, the bullish scenario is the one that's every, that everyone's already painted. We all know about it, right? The whole uh, infrastructure play, um, the Make America Great Again, the domestic focus that you know suddenly small business in America comes back in a very strong way. Uh, the blue collar guy starts making a bunch of money again, and uh, and everybody wins somehow, right? Somehow, well, the plants wins. get constructed in the United States rather than in, uh, globally, that kind of thing, right? Right, right. That it's going to be here. We're going to make it here. We're going right. to benefit. Everybody's going to make money. It's going to be good. So that's great. Infrastructure spending, um, in in all that, which is what that really represents on a macro level, is. Um, and kind of what Shinzo Abe has been doing in Japan. So hmm. as part of Abenomics, he had his obviously very loose monetary policy, right, where they're cutting rates. So that's what our Fed was doing, right, right. the stimulus and, and things like that. Um, but over there, he'd also had the fiscal policies where he's cutting taxes um, and he's offering tax breaks to manufacturing and trying to get things, you know, the fire stoked that way, and government reforms to go along, along with it, too. Um, so really what's happening now is we've already done the Fed part with the monetary policy, so now we need the fiscal policy to benefit. So what this really is, is that fiscal policy. Um, and it's very, you know, it's a very Keynesian philosophy, that, like, the government is going to spend us out of recession. Now, notice I said recession, because that's sort of the platform that was given. I mean, it, middle America does not believe the numbers. They don't believe the jobs number. They don't think that things are going as well as, you know, the elites believe, and that there truly is an underlying recession. I mean, that is the philosophy that, that, got, that has this going. Sure, um, in the Rust Belt, there's plenty of examples that would prove that, right? 
yeah, yeah absolutely. Manufacturing absolutely. and all that other stuff. Yeah. Sure. So, and, and that's why Trump won all those states. Right. Um, so anyway, so, so that's how you do it. You spend your way out of it, and that's the plan, which is kind of, it's funny to me because that was kind of, you know, that, that was supposed to happen before to really get us out of this recession. So then now there's this kind of battle happening, and, and it's a Twitter battle, and we know how it's been in the early stages of the administration. I mean, this could be a thing where today, you know, we villainize the Fed, and tomorrow suddenly the Fed's our best friend, right? Um, but the thing is that part of the campaign was to villainize the Fed. It was to take a look at, you know, Janet Yellen and, and the Fed's easy money and how that's hurting savers and all this. But in actuality, that was the process that had to happen along with this other stimulus or this other um, fiscal policy. But the fiscal policy just never happened. So it was like the Fed was carrying the brunt of the work. And then now it's like, okay, government, we're going to get out of the game. Now it's your turn to do some of the heavy lifting. Um, so it's, it's funny that way because they're actually complimenting each other, um, while fighting each other, which doesn't make a lot of sense, but whatever. <laughs> um, anywho, so the bullish scenario is that it all works out and everything's great. Like we know the bullish scenario, but I mean, this could right. be more, this could be insanely bullish because sure. if you get these EPS numbers, nine, you know, eight, nine, 10%, um, and you do get some GDP growth, especially early on. If you get like a Q2 GDP that looks really good, um, like what's what would be really good in your view? I, heck, if we get four, four, that's big. We haven't seen that in a long yeah. time. Right, something huge, um, which which could happen though. Because remember the comps, right? It's all about these comps. Um, right. But anyway, and if you're looking at seven percent, nine percent EPS growth, it could happen. But the thing is, people are going to look at it, and they're not going to be skeptical. It's not going to be like, yeah, whatever, that's a one-off. The mentality is going to be, oh, this is awesome. This is never going to end. It's working. And that's going to be – that'll be a huge rally. That will be a huge rally in the market. Small cap, large cap, NASDAQ, doesn't matter, everything. So that's the rosy oh. scenario, okay? Right. Well, it'll be uh, huge with a Y, I think. Exactly. Right. I was trying to get that. I couldn't really get it across with the huge. Um, but anyway, so then on the flip side is the bearish scenario, which people don't want to talk about. Well, let's talk about it anyway. That, yeah, absolutely. That's that this, these reforms either, A, don't really happen, um, don't happen quick enough, or are not as effective as first thought. All right. Um, and then the hope is gone because right now there's a hope premium that's happening. I don't want to call it hopium because that was a very specific period of time we had that hopium. Um, <laughs> this, this is this is something different. Um, this is sort of uh, you know a hope in a, in an entire regime change uh, that they think is going to lift America up by the bootstraps. And if it doesn't happen, then that hope bubble is going to pop. And that's when valuations come crashing down. And then you have another repricing of risk, but repricing in a bad way. Right. Also, you could see a fight developing a la, you know, Volcker versus uh, Carter, where the Fed is saying, hey, cool your jets, man, or we will cool your jets. And, it, um, and the policies are still more and more inflationary, and the Fed snuffs out a recovery and stuffs it out very aggressively. 
by raising and, rates more more uh, consistently than they than they had been. So instead of three raise three raises, for instance, maybe they do as many as six. They could do that, right? They certainly could, and and they could they could do it, um, and they could snuff this out very quickly if they wanted to. Cause, right. Again, rule number one in life um, is don't fight the Fed. Okay. <laughs> right? Rule number two is listen to your wife. But rule number one is don't fight the Fed. <laughs> um, so I, I, and I could see that happening. I could totally see a fight between uh, Trump and Yellen that gets out of hand. You know, of course, I'm hoping it doesn't, but this is just a bare scenario that I'm, that I'm playing out here that we could see happen. Um, and then, again, that goes in line with a, a trade war with China. Mm. Yeah. These, these make headlines, they sound cool, but what you're doing when you make a trade war with China is you are empowering others around you. So, Because they'll still do business of, with China and they'll take the benefit of that. Right. Right. And if we want to blow up NAFTA, you know, Mexico is going to be China's best friend. Mm. Um, and Russia is going to be friends with more friends with China and it's just going to grow. And it's, so do you want to lose power on a world stage because you want to make headlines in the U S and get people to like you? I I normally would say, (laughs) why would a states person want to do that? But, uh, we know where we are, don't we? Yeah, well, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't. I but again, we're negative. You're, just, you're focusing on the negative here, just so people understand. You know, we're not. We're not. Right. We're I'm not focusing on the negative. I'm, I'm saying a what if scenario. I, I'm not. Uh, I, I'm not trying to be that guy right now. <laughs> I'm just saying this is a scenario that we need to play out. That you need to look at and think about how will that impact your money this year. So in that scenario. If rate hikes here get more aggressive and there is some sort of trade war that takes place with China, how are you going to be able to make money in this market? And it's going to happen from getting a little bit more defensive and going back to those sort of brick-and-mortar kind of plays. But that's the thing, is those lower beta sort of plays used to be your basic, you know, these, these sort of infrastructure plays. So I, I think you're going to have to go back to, like, consumer staples in that scenario. Um, and really start to hunker down and be defensive. Um, but the other thing, too, is is if the Fed increases rates significantly, that's going to put a lot of pressure on bond prices. And I just don't that, – that may be something that's going to check the Fed from doing this. So that's going to knock down the percentage of uh, likelihood of this actually happening a bit, I think, because the Fed knows that there's – Playing in a in in a big pond, mm-hmm. and it's not just it's not just them anymore. It's right. the BOJ, it's the ECB, it's you know we're all very much intertwined. And while they're still cutting, if we're raising, that's a that just exacerbates the moves that they're making overseas, and and will make us less competitive on a grand scale. Um, but so it seems like we're talking about in a general sense on the on the negative side of, of what we're what we're looking toward is a stronger dollar actually winding up hurting us in a, in a number of ways, right? At a certain point, it does. Too strong hurts us. Too weak hurts us. Um, so right now, you've got you still have the pot, the whole Brexit discussion happening in Great Britain. So the pound's down at like 121 right now. 
I mean, that's where the euro should be trading. I mean, used to trade forever, right? right? Yeah. Um, so to talk about the pound down at 120, um, and then there's murmurs of parity on the pound. Wow. Um, I mean, that's you know, you would that that would have sounded like crazy talk three four years ago. Sure, sure. Um, and now it's just seeming like you could get. I mean, you could almost see a world where like everything's at parity. It's a one to one to the euro, one to one to the pound, and a hundred to one to the yen. Like all the majors are kind of locked in this parity situation. Um, that would be strange. But if all of our monetary policies are working together, that's kind of where it's going to. So is that um, a good thing or a bad thing? I I think it's a divisive thing. I yeah. think it's an us versus them kind of thing. Um, uh-huh. And I don't I don't necessarily like that. I want the free market to bounce around a little bit more than that. Um, but you know, that's just me, I guess. All right. So give us your, uh, your uh, base. Let's talk about the fed. Uh, stay on that for a minute and say, give us your, your crystal ball analysis for 2017. How many times has the fed raise interest rates this year? So I've been pretty good about this the last few years. Um, cause pretty much everybody has been too aggressive with their fed estimates. Um, I think again, they, o- I think they only raised twice this year. Okay. Not three times, which seemed like the the over-under, right? Yeah, I think they do it twice. And I, if they have to, they'll do it earlier on um, just to show that they can. Okay. But I, I think it's a, you know, I think it's an every six months kind of thing is where they're at. And if you look at the dot plot, it continues to flatten. So they continue to sort of kick that proverbial can down the road. They uh, make that expectation further and further out for these rate hikes and how aggressive they're going to be. And they're very slow, steady, and methodical. Historically, it's not the Fed moving too fast and snuffing things out. You know, I gave that risk there, but that's just not been their M.O. for the most part. That's been almost 40 years ago that you were referring to as well, right? Right, right. It's a different world. Mm -hmm. Um, The Fed moves slower and if anything, they don't move fast enough to adjust for the market. Um, so there's no reason to believe that suddenly they're going to, um, you know, change that. I mean, this is they, they have one rate hike, and then they throw in another rate hike, and then they're, you know, it's not, they're not going to go from that to all of a sudden being a wildfire, you know, tick, 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 unless something really upsets them and where something really forces their hand. Um, and we already sort of gave the scenario for what would do that. Um, but I think if I'm looking into my crystal ball here, you get two rate hikes um, because they don't, you know, the Fed doesn't want you to be nervous about what they're going to do every meeting. They don't right. want that feeling. They want you guys to chill out. You know, <laughs> they want price stability. They want maximum employment. Those, that's their dual mandate. Right. And that was basically my argument this whole time for why they're not raising rates more aggressively. It seems because like they've achieved their, their dual mandate. Wouldn't you say? I mean, their price stability mandate is 2% inflation. Okay. So they need to consistently get 2% inflation in order to do that. Now, in this last ISM number that we got, the, the, the sort of input prices number was, was huge. It was through the roof, um, which hints that we could be we could see that on the consumer level here over the course of the next few months. <clears throat> but, That's a forward indicator. 
until yeah, absolutely the ISM with the, their pricing. Okay. Um, the ISM overall, people think it uh, believe is a, a forward looking indicator. Okay. Because um, it's a manufacturing index, so so you see it sort of earlier on in the pipeline, right? Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so manifesting actual prices uh, tick product up, prices, right? Sorry. Go right. Ahead. So if they're starting to see input prices tick up. They're going to pass that through to consumers, and then that's going to be reflected in uh, in inflationary in inflationary data moving forward. But remember, the ECB um, a couple years back, I believe, had started to see some real nice inflation numbers, and then it was just a flash in the pan. Like they had it for a couple of months, and then boom, they went away. So the Fed's got to be careful that we don't you know catch a couple of decent numbers over two, and then they get too aggressive, and then they snuff that out. If anything, I think they honestly will err on the side of not raising quick enough. So I, I do think this year we get two, and that's it, and and we start to calm down things a little bit. Again, this is as long as there's not um, an escalation of the tension between the Fed and the and the incoming administration. Right. But what do you think about uh, the new uh, new policy initiatives? Uh, even if they do, even if they're very accretive to the market, even if the uh, things do kind of race ahead, that's pretty much not going to happen right away, right? It's just something that kind of it happens as it kind of filters through the market. Is that correct? So, so yeah, if there's something, that, uh, go ahead. Uh, yeah, it should take a little bit to develop. Right. Um, but the but with this ISM number, maybe it's hinted that it already started to develop. I see. Okay. So, so you could have a scenario where, I, I mean, okay, look, we've had X amount of years. Okay, so from 2009, the bottom of the market had this run up. There have been lots of initiatives in place throughout this whole time from the Fed to get us to where we are today. So this is something that has already been set in motion, but we just don't know how much motion, how much inertia there already is behind this. So, it could come regardless, and the policies come on top, and they and they they will add to it. Um, but the impact could look like it happens sooner rather than later, just because it's the, you know it's already in motion, and there's really nothing you can do to stop it. I see. So they get ahead of the they get ahead of the the actuality of it. Yeah, yeah, and then plus you got speculation. And then people end up jacking prices up because they, you know, oh, well, it's going to get better. This is happening. We know this is happening. Here are the numbers. And they try to get ahead of it. So, but um, it, it's, it's hard to sit here and be an inflation hawk when we haven't seen it for so long. Right. Um, in the developed world, really. I mean, it's not just a U.S.-centric issue. Japan's been in that deflationary spiral for decades. Right. Uh, Europe is elbow deep in it right now. Mm-hmm. So around the globe, um, the more developed nations are having this problem. They have it in Great Britain, too. Um, so everybody still has this problem. Um, the only inflationary pressures you're seeing are, you know, when you go to these some of these emerging market countries, um, and those are just total different economies altogether so i mean it's like apples and oranges it's really hard to compare those and a lot of volatility a lot of volatility there too so you don't kind of look at them in the same way you'd see the look at the ecb or the boj or something like that which is much more established you You absolutely can't you got to take these um these developed nations and separate them because they just don't they don't have the same rules 
And so right. with so much deflationary pressure in the developed world, um, I, I don't, you know, inflation is going to be okay. A little bit of inflation is going to be good for equity prices, and it's pretty much good for everybody. So um, we'll, well, that's we'll, good. See, we'll uh, see how it unfolds. Okay, well, we have a few more minutes left. I think, uh, Dave, before we before we sign off and give uh, some final thoughts on, on what's going on, uh, I just wanted to, to once again uh, reinstate to the listeners of The Steady Investor. Uh, for more information about how to best invest your assets for retirement, call Zach's Investment Management right here in Chicago at 800-918-3114. And there you can discuss at length your risk levels and investment strategies that are best suited for you and your family. And for more information, you can email us at info at zimwealth.com or visit our website, which is also zimwealth.com. And to get our free stock market outlook uh, for January and then the next one for February, you can call that same number, 800-918-3114. And today we are joined by Dave Bartosiak, investment strategist for Zach's. Uh, and this uh, Twitter handle, Bartosiastics. I don't know why I keep bringing that up, but I think I just like it, I think. And so, Dave, we're talking about what's going on here. We've got three minutes left uh, in this program. So let's give a kind of a wrap-up of what we're looking at. We have a, a week before uh, President Trump takes office, which is, still sounds weird to me to say that, but, there, but here we are. And uh, But we, we're looking at real uh, optimism in the marketplace, even now, even though we're still, I think today is maybe an anomaly there, but uh, in general, we're, we're still seeing people thinking that we're going to see a lot of growth and we're going to see lots of uh, GDP growth and we're seeing it in, in Q4 estimates as well. Uh, and you were saying in Q1 uh, too. So what's the big takeaway? What what do investors need to know going forward? Um, going forward, there are a lot of bullish tailwinds for the market right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, seeing there's a lot of hope in the market right now. So I think early on in 2017, there's a lot of good things that are happening. So I think it's very bullish. Um, but there certainly is an unknown here, and that unknown could lead to a much worse scenario for 2017 than everybody's sort of baking in right now. So you got to be a little bit cautious when everybody is so optimistic. Um, but you know, don't, uh, I, I suppose don't look to give, uh, look a gift horse in the mouth. So let's not become bearish just because everybody's bullish as easy as that is. And, uh, we need to just kind of let the economy play itself out over the next few months and see what the direction is and, uh, and try to profit from it. Right. And see how the policies are, are manifesting themselves and, and how quickly things are getting passed through Congress, I guess. So instead of the, looking at the fed we're more looking toward the Congress to making uh, changes. Absolutely. The first the first few months of this year, it's all about what's happening on Capitol Hill. Right. That should be very, very interesting. Uh, Dave Bartosiak, thanks for sticking with us. Uh, thanks for being with us here on The Steady Investor. Uh, next week, I believe we'll be joined uh, again by the co-host uh, Mitch Zacks, who's the portfolio manager and founding principal at Zacks Investment Management. Uh, for Dave Bartosiak, I'm Mark Vickery. Thanks for listening to The Steady Investor, sponsored by Zacks Investment Management. We hope you'll join us next week, and uh, take care. Thank you for tuning in this week. Be sure to join Mitch Zacks and Mark Vickery for another edition of The Steady Investor next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you haven't started your retirement plan yet, what are you waiting for? 